Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. We're just out of heart month, but as we know, heart disease affects people all year round, and the American Heart Association is working all year round to fund research and provide services for people with heart disease so that they can live a fuller life, hopefully prevent heart disease to start with, and perhaps the research is one of the most important functions as they keep finding better treatments, new knowledge, so that people can have better survival rates. And I'm very happy to welcome Chandra Roberson to the program, Senior Development Director with the American Heart Association, Greater Miami, Fort Lauderdale Chapter. Chandra, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Ellen. It's great to be here this morning. Uh, I know you are involved with development all year round, and one of your biggest events is coming up one week from today. It's the Broward Heart Walk. Can you tell me, first of all, the scope of the work that you do as the Senior Development Director? Yeah, absolutely. So we are very excited. As you mentioned, we're about a week out and the Broward Heart Walk is one of our biggest events that's really focused on raising awareness toward heart disease and stroke and fundraising for research for such an important cause in our area. You know, heart disease is the number one killer of all Americans in the U.S. So, you know, to put things into perspective, you know, back in 2020, when we had the pandemic, you know, heart disease was still ahead of the deaths that we experienced from COVID, the deaths that we experienced from cancer. So knowing about heart disease, you know, is important because it really has no face. You can't look at someone and know whether or not they have a heart condition. So it's important to know your blood pressure numbers, your family history. It's important to be eating the right things and, and living your everyday lifestyle and making those choices that make sure that you have a healthy life. You know, you mentioned that heart month just ended, but it's still important that, you know, you're keeping your heart health a top priority. So what we do with the Broward Heart Walk is we're really emphasizing, you know, moving more, getting out and walking. And, you know, if you're in long meetings throughout the day, taking walking meetings, um, sleeping well and eating and exercising well. I'm failing (laughs) a lot of the, (laughs) particularly the sleep. But it was very interesting. You guys introduced me to Dr. David Barron from Cleveland Clinic. He is a heart transplant specialist. And, you know, he mentioned the same things that you talked about that are risk factors. And I proposed to him, you know, what if you could choose only one or two, if you had to, that are the most important things to focus on? And I loved his answer, which, you know, of course, we know that all of them are important, but he said, take the top two that you can do at home and do them. Number one, quit smoking. Number two, just move. That's all. Just start moving. 
And, you know, I always look at the Heart Walk as the perfect place to start moving. You're in a crowd of I don't know how many thousands and everybody's your friend. Everyone is your friend. So it's a great, fun atmosphere for just strolling at Nova Southeastern University on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And, you know, so our walk is about 3.1 miles. So tons of walking and tons of moving more. Um, Not only are you walking around the campus, but we have our festival area that opens up right before the walk starts. So nine o'clock is when we start the walk, but eight is when the festival area opens. And in that festival area, we have things that we're continuing to encourage you to stay healthy with. So we have our area where we're focusing on mental health and well-being. So we have goat yoga. So it's known. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, goats are known to, I guess, help you relax and stay stress-free. So we'll have plenty of goats out there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah. So we're super excited about that one. Um, we'll have areas we call like our stomp out stress areas. So, you know, when you're younger and you had um, like the, the temper bubble tantrum. Wrap. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, right. The temper tantrum, you have your bubble wrap and your parents are telling you don't pop those. Well, we actually want you to pop the bubble wrap here. I love it. <laughs> no, to kind of take your mind at ease and take your mind off the stressful day to day things that we go through. So um, tons of things like that. We'll have healthy foods. We'll have a kid zone. So please bring your kids out. Um, We'll have mascots and things like that. You can take your blood pressure and get a reading. So lots of things going on before we actually get into the walking. And then you always have someone who leads a warm up, usually a Zumba group or some kind of dance troupe that's going to lead us through something that any of us can do, even those who are the most awkward on the dance floor. Who did you get this year? (laughs) So this year we have a representative from HCA Florida. They did our warm up last year. Everyone seemed to love it. So we're happy to have them back as one of our sponsors for that. Okay. Now, talking about your sponsors, as I mentioned, I spoke with Dr. Barron from Cleveland Clinic, and they're one of your big sponsors. Who are some of the key sponsors? Because I know that you can't do this without their support. Yes, absolutely. We really can't put this, you know, big fundraising event on without all of our supporters. And really, we can't do any of the work that we do in the community without them. So this year, our Heart Walk is led by our chair, COO of Cleveland Clinic, Alex Espinoza. So we will have Cleveland Clinic out there. One of our other top sponsors is City Furniture. They help us do so many great things within the community. Um, Pediatrics, styles, JM Family, um, HCA, as I mentioned, Memorial Healthcare. So lots of the, you know, the big sponsors that help out in the community. We're also helping us out with the Heart Walk. And one of the things that really helps the individuals who come to walk is that by their giving you sponsorship money, you don't have to charge people to participate, which is kind of really unheard of when it comes to the walk scene. Yeah. So there's no registration fee. Um, We just encourage people to help us raise money. So, you know, we have a big goal this year of $1.7 million. So we just, you know, we need everybody's help fundraising. So, you know, every little bit helps, but there's no fee. Um, We encourage you still just to come on out if you want to get moving with us and walk and help raise awareness. That's perfectly great, too. And this is for the whole family, right? Well, obviously you have a kid zone. So, yes. Um, Mm -hmm. What about animals? Are they welcome at this? Is it are they allowed on campus? Yeah, we love animals at the AHA, especially dogs. 
dogs have proven to help you de-stress and relax and feel happier. So we do have our dog area. Um, we actually have like a dog selfie area. So we call it our paparazzi. Oh, I so, love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we encourage you bring your dogs out, bring your pets out. They can do the walk as well. We'll have little doggy hydration areas because, you know, to South Florida, sometimes it gets pretty hot here. So we want to make sure everybody, you know, stays hydrated and stays cool. But absolutely, please bring your pets out. I love how this has evolved. I've been working with you guys for years and have been to so many of the different walks in both Miami-Dade and Broward. And really the knowledge that you've gotten about the de-stressing and incorporating that into the event and incorporating the goats (laughs) and bubble wrap. I mean, that all comes with knowledge and in understanding what are the factors that contribute to heart disease. So as we know, the money that's raised from this goes both to services and to research. What is the focus of the research right now? You know, we really try to focus on the whole scope of everything that affects heart disease. So at the AHA, you know, we're centered around health equity. Our job is to try to remove these social determinants of health. So it shouldn't matter where you live or, you know, what race you are, what you look like. Everybody should have the opportunity for a full and healthy life. So, you know, right now, one of the big things that we're focusing on is CPR. I'm not sure if everybody has heard about what happened with DeMar Hamlin, the safety from the Buffalo Bills. But, you know, ever since he went into cardiac arrest early in January, there's been a huge uptick in wanting to know about CPR. And CPR is such an important life-saving skill. It's two steps. and You really honestly can save a life. So that's been one of the big things that we've been focusing on for Heart Month and in the past um, couple of months is, you know, making sure everybody is aware of how to perform CPR. Demar Hamlin is doing that big challenge with the American Heart Association. So that's kind of one of the the main things that we're pushing right now. Yeah, it's amazing when you look at a situation like that, and he's what, 25 years old, 24 years old, and everybody was talking about it. And I I had a feeling that there was going to be so much more interest in Heart Month this year because of the awareness that heart disease or heart attacks or just having your heart stop can happen to anyone And sometimes there's a component that is a physical anomaly that you can't prepare for, you don't know about. But for almost everyone else, like you said, you can't look at someone and say you have heart disease and most people can't feel it either. You know, you're eating and your arteries may be getting stiff or hardening or filled and you don't know it. So that's why it's so important to go for the annual checkup. And we know we lost so much of that during the pandemic. And I talked to Dr. Barron about it that, you know, is part of the reason we seem to be seeing more young people with heart attacks. And I'm not talking about DeMar, but even people in their 40s or 50s is partially that they were not going for the annual checkup. So they weren't getting diagnosed with either diabetes or hypertension or any of the contributing factors and then doing the steps that get it under control. And he also talked about how the Heart Association has this amazing database of patients. Mm -hmm. 
And when researchers are looking at data from clinical trials or just evaluating things that are happening, like when COVID hit, you know, it was pretty quickly determined that the same risk factors for heart disease were risk factors in getting a more severe case of COVID. And having heart disease, of course, itself was a risk factor in getting a more serious case of COVID. And that's something they're able to do so because of your database that you keep that has so many millions of people in it that you can help the researchers do their research. Yeah. And that's really what these funds go toward. You know, we're asking people to raise funds for awareness and research and whatnot. And, you know, you guys are really having a direct impact on people's lives. So raising these funds goes into so we can do things like that and create this database and fund grants for physicians and people to find ways to combat these new findings. So if we're finding that, you know, COVID has had effect on heart disease, that researchers can determine, you know, how we can eradicate that. Right. So when people come to the walk, let's be sure we give the information again. It's one week from today, March 12th at Nova Southeastern University. The festivities starting at eight o'clock. The walk starts at nine o'clock. Where can people sign up? So you guys can register at www.browartheartwalk.org. Um, we encourage you to have your whole family register. That gives us a great idea of how many people are going to be at the event. Um, it's super easy. You go onto the website and you just hit register and it's just a few steps from there. Okay. And if you want to support someone, I'm watching the competition between two of your key sponsors, <laughs> Cleveland Clinic and City Furniture. It's like this big duke out between who's going to raise the most money. And I love seeing it. Um, yeah, me too. We're very competitive around here. And a lot of our companies are too. Yeah. So it's if someone, you know, either knows a person who's walking or just has, you know, cares about the cause and wants to make a donation, they can do that also at BrowardHeartWalk.org, right? Yes. So you can go on there. You can make a general donation just to the campaign in general, or you can look for a specific company. Or like you said, if you know somebody that's walking, you can do a search of their name um, by Walker as well. Okay. Should we be wearing red for the walk? Yeah, absolutely. All of our companies are going to come out with their own company t-shirts. Um, some like to wear their company colors to stand out, but we always encourage wearing red. Are you going to be colors. doing the uh, company group photos again? Yes, we are. So we have so many companies this year. Um, we're almost at 50 that we're going to have two separate areas that are going to be going on before the walk and after the walk as well. That is awesome. And of course, you don't have to be part of a company. You can come out as an individual, as a family, as a social club, whatever works for you. The main thing is to get involved. And if someone heard what you're saying about CPR and how important that is in saving lives and they want to learn how, what's the best place to go or organization to seek, or can they set it up right through the Heart Association? You can set up right through the Heart Association. If you visit heart.org slash CPR, um, on that website, you can click a couple videos that can teach you CPR. And I believe on that website, you can also find some CPR training courses as well. Okay, because you're not going to be certified just by watching a video. Right. So you'd have to get the certification. And I believe there should be a link on there. Okay. But if you do watch the video, does that give you the comfort or confidence to know that if there's an extraordinary situation and there's no one around, someone has already called 911, that you could start providing CPR for someone who's in distress? Absolutely. So just watching the video gives you enough confidence that you should be able to perform CPR. 
Um, certification gives you a little bit more in-depth details about how to how do you work the AED, um, what to do in certain situations, but watching the video absolutely will give you confidence to do it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, by just knowing, you know, watching the video a couple times and knowing how to perform the steps, it's better than not doing anything at all. In right, situation. right. And I understand that you don't any longer have to breathe into someone's mouth as part of CPR. They've removed that. Correct. So what we like to share with our supporters in our community at the AHA is hands-only CPR. Okay. Um, you know, there's been some stigmas of people being nervous to, you know, do the breaths when you don't know the individual. So we've done research to find out that giving just hands-only CPR without the breath is just as good as you were to do the breaths. Okay. And I'm sure with the pandemic, everybody was concerned about giving breath. So it's and then there were the people who just thought, oh, cooties, no matter what. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. I'm taking it back to the children's level again. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, and, you know, it's important that children learn about this, too. So they know about calling 911 if they run into a situation where a family member is having a heart attack. And is there a minimum age at which someone can learn CPR or can kids do it, too? Kids can do it, too. Okay, so one more reason to bring them out, get them started on a healthy lifestyle now and in one of the most fun ways, um, bring the dogs, bring the family, go visit the goats. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and make it a day to take care of yourself. Consider it the beginning of your very own personal get healthy spa day, starting with some relaxation, fun and a walk. And then you can go back home and do more relaxation and fun and know that you've made a great contribution to the community and to your own health. So is there anything else you want the audience to know? Um, We just hope to see you next week. We're excited. You know, it's a really great cause that we're trying to fundraise for. So we appreciate the entire community support and the support of all our sponsors. And we just want to say thank you to you guys. Thank you. Chandra Roberson, Senior Development Director with the Greater Miami Fort Lauderdale Chapter of the American Heart Association. Thank you for all the work that you do and that the Heart Association does. And again, you can sign up for the Broward Heart Walk one week from today. March 12th at Nova Southeastern University. Just go to BrowardHeartWalk.org. That simple. For our next segment of Community Focus this morning, so we have two things coming together as one. March is Women's History Month, and all through the month, we are recognizing female lifesavers and trailblazers. And when it comes to lifesavers, we're talking law enforcement officers, paramedics, firefighters, therapists, and of course, doctors. March is also Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And one of the lifesavers that we're featuring is Dr. Brenda Jimenez of Cleveland Clinic Hospital Weston, the Vice Department Chair, Co-Chair of the Hereditary Colorectal Cancer and Polyposis Center. Now, this is after having been the Vice Chair of the Department of Gastroenterology, Hepatology and Nutrition at Cleveland Clinic Weston Hospital. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Jimenez. Hi, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me. Now, what is the connection I'm going to start with gastroenterology, hepatology and nutrition when it comes to colorectal cancer? So colorectal cancer is 
cancer that occurs in the colon and the rectum. And that includes just part of all of the entire area that we evaluate, which includes the colon and the rectum. So that's what we study. And are there signs or symptoms that we can be aware of? You know, something that we've talked a lot about is that because of the pandemic, people stopped going to doctors and stopped getting their annual checkups. So we have a whole world of people who haven't had their colonoscopies, nor had their blood tested or anything like that. Are there other ways to recognize that something may be wrong without having gone for a screening or used there's the cola guard testing now that you can do at home or having a checkup? So the first thing that we really need to talk about is that colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer in both men and women. So it's common. You know, you have a one in a 23 lifetime risk if you're a man or one in 25 lifetime risk if you're a woman. So you should really be on top of your screening. Initially, uh, early onset colorectal cancer does not cause any symptoms. But symptoms that we really should be monitoring and really talk to our doctors about is if we have, you know, any abdominal pain that doesn't go away. If you start seeing blood in the stool, that's a big kind of red flag. Sometimes there will be no symptoms. If it's a slow blood loss into the stool, you may have a low blood count and that can lead to some fatigue. And so things that are new, you should really talk to your doctor about. You did mention the Cologuard. That is one of the stool-based testing that we have to screen for colon cancer. And that's really, you know, one of the things that we talk about uh, for colorectal cancer screening is the best test is the test that gets done. So if you're afraid of going to the hospital, if you want to do something at home, that's an option. You know, hospitals, they are safe now. You know, colonoscopy is definitely another option. Okay. And from personal experience, I will share that there is colon cancer in on my father's side of the family. And when it was time, I went for my first colonoscopy and it was no big deal at all. If anything, it was the preparation that people talk about where you have to go a whole day drinking only liquids that have no color in them. Sleeping a lot through it, it does help. But yes. and also it's been a while since I did that. And, you know, like I said, I woke up, I didn't even know it had happened. I thought we were still waiting. Have there been improvements in the prep and the ways that you screen or changes in the screening methods for colon cancer? So the screening methods for colon cancer, you know, they've been available for many years. Like I said, colonoscopy, it hasn't changed. It's available. We have new tools. Um, the screening, the preparation options have changed slightly. We've also modified slightly the timing of the preparation and also the diet can be slightly liberalized. You know, if you're an average risk person, a way to better tolerate the prep is what we do, something called split dose. So you do part of the dose the day before and part of the dose the morning of. So you're not consuming that large volume of liquid, which is what patients really find difficult. Oh, I have to drink that whole gallon or that half <laughs> gallon in such amount of time. Right. So that really makes it easier to do that. So that's really been you know much better. And in addition to making it easier for the patient, you will be cleaner. Because one thing that, you know, if, I, if there's one thing I want you know people to remember is the closest that you take your prep to the colonoscopy, obviously within the safe time frame for anesthesia, the cleaner you're going to be. So really follow the instructions that your physician gives you at the time, you know, prior to booking your appointment. Okay. And let's go back. What causes colon cancer? What's happening inside the body that leads to it? So cancer starts when cells in the body start to grow out of control. Cancer in the colon and the rectum is called colorectal cancer. So they are grouped together because they have features in common. And the way cancer in the colorectum starts is just with little growth in the colon that we call polyps. 
Uh, not all of the polyps are precancerous. Some are precancerous. And these are really slow growing. It takes about five to 10 years for them to become cancer. So they're very slow growing. That's the rationale for a colonoscopy every 10 years is it because it takes a little bit longer for them to become cancer, that's when we do it. If we find a polyp, you know, then we're going to do your colonoscopy at a shorter interval. That's how it starts. Now, these polyps can be removed during colonoscopy and then we send them to a pathologist, looks at them under the microscope and they tell us what kind of polyp they have. What if you have, as I said, I have cancer on my father's side in my family. If you do have a genetic component, if there's cancer in your family, does that change how often you should be screened and when you should start? Definitely. So family history is an important risk factor for colorectal cancer. And I'll give you an example. If a person that has no history of colorectal cancer in the family, the risk is about 6%. Once you have a first-degree relative, that can increase like three to four-fold. So we look at the age of the diagnosis, but typically you're, if there's a family history of colon cancer, a close family relative, we're going to start younger. We're going to start at age 40, and then depending on who that person was, we're going to do the colonoscopy every, either every five years or 10 years, depending on how close that relative is. Now, you mentioned also genetics, and that's a different, not familial, but genetics, is if you have an underlying gene mutation that predisposes your risk of colon cancer. Uh, and you know, those are conditions like Lynch syndrome or familial polyposis, and that risk is certainly much higher than just having a family member with colon cancer. And in those patients, we do colonoscopy every year. Wow. Is there something, you know, like they have the BRCA test for people to find out if they have the gene for breast cancer or ovarian cancer? Is there a test like that for colorectal cancer? There is. And if you have a certain number of family members with colon cancer or very young colon cancer or a lot of polyps, then we will recommend genetic testing. So we will do testing for a specific number of genes that includes genes that increase your risk of colorectal cancer. So that's something that we can do here in the office. And, you know, you answer a couple of questions and that's done pretty quickly and relatively easily with no discomfort to the patient. Okay. For those general situations where someone may not have a family history of colon cancer and has no awareness of a genetic component, what are some of the other risk factors, things that any of us can do to decrease our chances of developing colorectal cancer? And on the flip side, what are the things that we are doing that are increasing our risk? Yeah, so uh, I definitely, you know, one of the, the major risk factors other than family history you just talked about is physical inactivity. So a sedentary lifestyle has increased the risk, cigarette smoking, obesity, and, and there are some conditions that are not in total control of the patient. For example, somebody that has abdominal radiation or conditions like inflammatory bowel disease. Those, those will increase your risk of colon cancer. So um, there are some recommendations that we can certainly talk about and you know, how to lower your risk of colorectal cancer. And the first one is regular screening. So make sure you're talking to your doctor about this. If you're active, you know, getting active, doing like several minutes of moderate activity weekly, it can decrease your risk for about 25%. Um, keeping your weight in the normal range, you know, limiting alcohol intake, and eating a more high fiber whole grain food will also be very beneficial in decreasing your risk of colorectal cancer. So going back to the time that we were in lockdown, which weirdly seems like so long ago, and it was only really a year, most people were not particularly active, not necessarily eating 
high fiber whole grain food because I know many of us were turning to things like ice cream and cookies to make us feel better. People were drinking more, taking more drugs, things to numb us and help us cope, not the healthiest ways. And everybody jokes about the pandemic 15 or 25. You know, are we looking at an entire population that's now more at risk? Well, it will take some time for us to kind of be able to get data from that. You know, however, we do have data from, you know, more recent 1990, for example, which you know, was surprisingly quite a few years ago. But if we look at somebody that was born in around 1990 versus somebody that was born in the 50s, they have twice the risk of colon cancer and four times the risk of rectal cancer. You know, and even though, you know, the possible reasons for these are complex, there are suggestions that unhealthy diet and sedentary lifestyle may contribute. So, you know, maybe fast forward 20 years and we may look at the 2020-2022 as the year where this may have changed. But it takes years for population numbers to change. And then looking at these numbers is why the recommendations to start screening colonoscopy has recently decreased from 50 to 45. So I know that's something, you know, we want to look at. Yeah, that's a big, big difference. What about, you know, there are, with breast cancer, for example, I know the Bahamian population has a much higher risk of breast cancer. Is it similar with colon cancer where there are different ethnic groups or other populations that are more susceptible to colorectal cancer? So a few years ago, the recommendations for screening for African-Americans was to start at 45. Now that's changed currently for all of the average risk population, but African-Americans were certainly at higher risk when compared to the non-Hispanic whites and uh, other populations in the U.S. So that is one population that is a little bit at a higher risk. Okay. Let's talk about Cleveland Clinic Weston. I mentioned I have friends who are survivors of colon cancer and were treated there. You're recognized as a national leader for digestive care. What sets Cleveland Clinic and your team apart from others? I would say uh, that it's just that, it's a team. So when you come to Cleveland Clinic, you have a team of physicians who are working together to provide the best patient care. Uh, And I can tell you that I have, you know, colorectal surgeon next door. I have, you know, the oncologist that, you know, I can just, they're across the hall or across the building from me. So it's just the fact that we all work together to really provide the best possible care for the patient, I think is what really sets us apart. And it's part of the reason why I'm here, because I think we do really care for, you know, the best possible outcome for our patients. What are the likely outcomes depending on when you catch colon cancer? It's very survivable, isn't it? It is. It is. And that's why we advocate so strongly for colonoscopies. A colorectal cancer that's diagnosed at a very early stage, you can be cured with just a, a surgery. Even, you know, even a little bit more of advanced colorectal cancer, we use a combination of surgery, you know, plus treatment with the oncologist. So it is, you know, and obviously the earlier you catch it, the more likelihood of surviving the cancer. Uh, So even if you find a colon cancer in a colonoscopy, say you're you're showing up for your first colonoscopy and, you know, and you're at the right time, you find a cancer, there's nothing outside of the colon and it's, it's treatable, it's curable. So it all comes back to screening, 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 really? Yes. Okay. If someone would like to set up a screening at Cleveland Clinic Weston, how do they go about doing it? So they can call our office. I'll give you the number. Sure. 
You can call our office. You can call 877-463-2010. You can get a referral from your primary care to have us set up a colonoscopy for you, and uh, and we'll take care of it. Okay. And if you want any other information about everything that Cleveland Clinic Florida does, just visit clevelandclinicflorida.org slash colorectal or stop at .org if you want to see everything else, <laughs> clevelandclinicflorida.org. Dr. Jimenez, is there anything else that you want our audience to know about colorectal cancer during Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month? I definitely want you to remember colorectal cancer is preventable, it's treatable and beatable. So make sure you get your screening on time. Also, make sure you know your family history so that, you know, the timing of the screening is done appropriately. I like those phrases, preventable, treatable, beatable. Let's go for it. Schedule your screening. Dr. Brenda Jimenez from Cleveland Clinic Weston Hospital. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. This, I think, will open a lot of eyes and hopefully get people making those appointments. Uh, appreciate what you do. Thank you very much for having me, Alan. Nice to meet you. Absolute pleasure. Before we wrap things up this morning, I do want to remind you, we have our team out at Carnival on the Mile today. This is part of Carnival Miami on Miracle Mile going until 10 o'clock tonight. It gets underway at 10 o'clock this morning and they've got three stages of entertainment. There's going to be food, music, artisan village with 150 exhibitors. And this is all put together by the Kiwanis Club of Little Havana that funds youth development programs for children in low-income areas. So definitely a fun day. It's Miami Day. Where else would you want to spend the time than on Miracle Mile? You can find the info on our events page on our website. Thank you so much for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-S-1-E, at cmg.com. Thank you again for being with us. Have a wonderful day. Join us again next Sunday for a new episode of Community Focus. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.